This week, you will be hearing an interview that I did with producer Veronica Beach. Veronica is, in short, the most awarded female advertising producer in the world. Uh, she just came back from judging Can Lions, or Khan, I don't know how you want to pronounce it, and that is how they uh, introduced her to the world when she spoke, was the most awarded female advertising producer in the world. Veronica and I connected a few months ago when I did a conversation in her pool house community. And for those of you who don't know about pool house, uh, pool house is a social network for producers in TV, film, and advertising. And it's a great platform for employers to find producers, producers find jobs to enable producers to share resources and to have general discussions, um, just about work resources and, um, network. They also do live events and virtual events. Veronica has won over 100 can lions as an aging producer, which honestly, I didn't even know that was possible. So that's sort of what we dive into immediately after this intro. Uh, her resume includes director of production at Pereira Odell, founding member of David, and she moved to Brazil to open the Sao Paulo and Buenos Aires production departments at David, um, while also leading global production for Ogilvy Brazil, um, which in her first year working there, they won Agency of the Year. Uh, Veronica also launched the Miami office of David. And uh, on top of that, she's freelanced. Uh, she had a company of her own before diving into advertising. And um, clearly, it's a impressive resume. So that is largely why uh, this topic of burnout and depression is so intriguing to me personally is to just understand a bit more about the cost of operating at such a high level for so long uh, veronica goes very in-depth in detail into her story and um, it's just refreshing to hear uh, what it was actually like operating at that level for so many years um, how Veronica managed to take a pause and take care of herself with the support of her colleagues. And, and now, um, she's, well, you know what? I don't want to give away the whole podcast before it even starts. So with that said, uh, let's dive in and I will start the conversation and keep in mind, this was recorded in the variable community where, uh, on a zoom call where there were others in attendance as well. And there is a segment on the end of this call where others from the community chime in and ask their own questions. Uh, if, if you listening are interested in engaging in any of these types of conversations, check out the variable community, our sites, wearevariable.com. It's a community where filmmakers prioritize wellness and growth. And, uh, with all that said, I'm going to start the interview here. Thanks and enjoy. I want to go back to the beginning and just understand a little bit about what drove you towards producing or was it advertising or what was it? It was producing. I mean, it was more um, entertainment. I wanted to, I think, you know, my original dreams were like, you know, to be TV and film. And, mm -hmm. um, and that's actually where I started. And I did have my foot in the door and I was excelling. And I, you know, I worked in the mailroom. I worked um, at a talent agency doing that. I worked um, for a very famous executive pro producer named Andy Meyer. 
Um, he did like, you know, The Breakfast Club, just to throw that one out. Okay, so like a lot of John Hughes films and he was in development and I would work very closely with him and read a lot of scripts, do notes. And um, I um, really was kind of finding my way, um, but I was really just not enjoying it as much um, because I just didn't really understand how things were made and I didn't go to film school or anything like that. So I started kind of on the side hustles, like not even hustles because I wasn't even getting paid, but like, you know, producing projects for directors, you know, um, mm -hmm. like spec work or things that they needed to build their reels. Um, I got really involved in that and it really got, helped me to kind of figure out how to do stuff. Mm -hmm. um, and, and then from there, I was, um, I needed money <laughs> and I was working, you know, a ton of side jobs, you know, catering or bartending. I mean, everything you can think of, I was doing it. And then um, I started producing like corporate videos and stuff like that. And that I feel like was really film school for me. Cause like, mm. I really just started to understand process, like shoot, like prep, shoot, post, mm -hmm. you know, deliver and it's small in the sense of it the timelines are tighter and it was like taught a lot of talking heads or graphic pieces and sales stuff but moved very very fast and I found it very fun that was probably you know and then after that I I um started my own production company in LA um with Stefan Sonnenfeld's brother actually <laughs> and then we parted and I kept it for another year and then I had a client that like didn't pay their bill they owed me mm. like a lot of money and I had to like fold house and it was pretty horrible and humiliating and I was going to leave and like go be a, like a pharmaceutical sales rep <laughs> and um and then Carol Lumberg at that time was the head of production at YNR and she had said to me and I had been kind of testing my waters at agency producing at the time in and out and she had said to me hey do you want to like I need a freelancer. She had heard about me through someone and she knew I was like wanting to leave the industry, but someone's like, she's a really good producer. Like she should, mm. you should hire her freelance or something. So I went in and started freelancing with YNR and she trained me wow. and she was really hands-on. I started producing like Mattel commercials, which are really not glamorous. Toy but, commercials. Is that what that is? But to, what? Toy, is Mattel yeah. toys? Yeah. Toys. But like, again, it's very um, great for learning because you're following kind of uh, process like a you know with Mattel it's like you know they had certain type of timelines and certain type of budget so you got kind of used to repetition of like how to do things mm. wasn't a huge way of like really launching your creativity but it really trained me like I learned how to produce as mm. an, an, on the agency side and um, I really enjoyed it and I just kind of like never looked back and I was freelance and I was in my late 20s at the time and I was moving to New York and then I just kept freelancing and then it's just freelance job after another. And I started networking and meeting people, but I always felt like I didn't have a home. And that's kind of when we started pool house because I started like emailing with other freelance agency producers and Hey, do you have a good like bids back? Do you mm -hmm. have a great, Hey guys, I have this really cool, um, you know, bit budget sheet I just made, you know, we all just kind of started sharing information and referring each other for jobs. Mm -hmm. And we created like Yahoo group. And I mean, that was in like 2006 and or five, I can't even remember. And then from there, I put it on us online to help oh. agencies find freelance producers. And it, I was doing all this for free. 
And um, it was great, you know, I was traveling all over the world and I was doing bigger and better jobs. And it was beneficial for me in a sense because people would call me and if I was available, I'd take a good job. If I wasn't, um, and most of the time I wasn't because I was actually pretty busy. I was then referring other producers, finding out who's available, sending over resumes, letting the head of production pick who wow. they wanted. And it was like an underground kind of book group and it was great. And then, yeah, and then that's kind of how I got to David and everything from there. What would you say like kept you so intrigued and engaged in producing um, in those in those like origin years? I think it was, I mean, I'm kind of, I'm not competitive with other people at all. In fact, if someone tries to compete with me, you'll see me like shy away because it's not my thing at all, but I'm very competitive with myself mm. and I wanted to be like the best I could possibly be. Mm -hmm. And I found it really challenging because every job was different. I mean, obviously there's things that you take from jobs and there's the repetition in the process and stuff, but right. I think I just really enjoyed the intensity of it, you know, mm. and I love a good, like I'll, my best, my best like quality as a producer is like, I'm great at cleanup or like mm. a problem. Like if there's a horrific problem, like I will figure it out. Um, so I think that I enjoyed that aspect because there's a lot of problems. In production. Where, where do you think that comes from for you? Um, I think it comes from, um, I think it just comes from, I think it's actually just something that's innately in me. <laughs> like, I just think that some people have that, that skill set and some people just like, frankly, don't. Cause like I've worked right. with a lot of producers where I've been like, you gotta clean that shit up. Right, <laughs> right. And they're like, uh, they can't figure out like the first step, you know, and I've had to really work with that producer to help them to learn how to not be afraid of finding that first step. But I think it's just kind of like, you know, you kind of, I kind of just grew up being like, I don't really have a lot to lose. Like I may as well just like figure it out. Well, you said about like feeling like you didn't have a lot to lose. Was that something that was like imparted on you from your parents or was that just kind of your mentality? from as early as you can remember? I think it's just kind of like as early as I can remember. Like I, I I, had some, my sister died when I was like six years old. So for me, like the worst thing that can ever happen to someone is like they can die. Mm -hmm. So like everything else is like really not that bad. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, like everything else is really not that bad. So I'm kind of like, you know, what do I have to lose? And I also kind of, you know, we struggled. Um, my dad lost a lot of money or lost everything really his business and everything when I was like 10 or 11. Mm. And um, so we went from, you know, being very comfortable to being very poor and um, having to have help from family. And, um, and I got a job as early as I could. I mean, babysitting mm -hmm. when I was like 11, just so I could have money and I didn't have to depend on anyone. And that was kind of like where it all came from, like not having to depend on anybody, um, right. being taken care of myself. Yeah. And so I guess I could be like quoted as like a hustler. Like, you know, I kind of was like a survivor. Like, mm -hmm. so you kind of like, I'd be like, you know, if I wasn't going to get a job, I'd be like, all right, well, what's the worst that could happen? Like right. the job and then something else will come up, you know? Yeah. I mean, this is a, a bit of a personal question, but I'm always curious how like that manifests in like personal life, like that drive or that hustle to succeed professionally. Yeah. I mean, my husband says I'm very manipulative, but like not in a bad way. Like he just says like, I just plug away at stuff like until, right. you know, <laughs> like until I get it. 
you know, like if, you know, like he just says like, it's like, I beat the, like, I'll, you know, most people like give up, you know, right. and just like, all right, well, like I'm the person who continues to call the insurance company was in like, you're going to fucking reimburse my shit. Like, right. <laughs> times. like, I don't care, you know? Um, and I'm pretty good at like, um, framing stuff. So, and I think that comes from that. Um, I, happy to go into a room with any strategic person and you know I'm always like I'd always be like listening to strategy meetings being like you know <laughs> like let's try this you know so um I don't know so I guess it's kind of an, he he'll be like you know I'm not manipulative in the sense of like I'm trying to do things bad but right. I definitely know how to like frame something and like figure it out and I think actually that also helped a lot with my producing because I was yeah. able to like frame things the way that they needed to be framed, you know, and sell. What what would you say were like some of the earliest signs that you were you were starting to burn out when things really started to pick up for you? Yeah. Um you know, there's a couple things. So one was, and I'm totally frank about it, but you know, I was like a huge drinker, huge party mm -hmm. girl, you know. So I was definitely in the fast agency production scene, you know. Mm -hmm. I um I had like I had some trauma that like you know kind of put me out there like I was molested by my older half-brother when I was like 19 years old and I um started to really decline from a substance abuse standpoint and anxiety attacks from that um mm. I didn't really understand it though to be honest you guys because I um I blocked the whole thing I only remembered that my brother had done that to me um when I was 30 working at the Martin agency. And I was being, I was being like severely sexually harassed by a lot of the creatives there. Mm. I've ever said that publicly, but, um, I was put in some pretty uncomfortable and fucked up situations. And, and so were many of my friends, unfortunately, mm -hmm. at that agency, that agency, what happened there was not a joke. It was not mm. a lie. It was bad. Those days were bad. Um, and so I all triggered like for whatever reasons, like I just remember waking up one day and being like, <gasps> um, and I remember I haven't spoken to my brother since. Wow. So, um, so I had had anyway. So then when I backtracked in therapy, like of everything to happen, mm -hmm. what basically happens after that, I started like a lot of anxiety and I started my substance abuse. So I was like very, um, functioning, like mm -hmm. I was functioning alcoholic. Right. <laughs> And that was really my choice. I liked red wine. That was kind of my thing. And I wasn't a day drinker. I was definitely like five o'clock, let's go, you know? And I was more an isolator. So I would drink a lot on my own. Um, and um, so anyway, saying that I was like going, 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 going into my thirties and I wasn't paying attention to anything. I wasn't taking care of myself. I wasn't working out. I was just working and I was accelerating too. Like I was, you know, going up the ladder. Mm -hmm. um, and then it was really, I think it was Brazil that probably like legitimately broke me, but I think that would have broken most people. Um, I know another head of production who went to Brazil with another ad agency and he was like kidnapped and beaten down there and he like broke as well. Um, but you know, it's a very different culture. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't speak Portuguese. I didn't speak Spanish, which doesn't matter because you don't speak Spanish and Brazil, but a lot of people do speak Spanish down there, but I also had Argentina. So I didn't speak Portuguese. I didn't speak Spanish. I didn't have any friends down there. I had never been there. Um, I was being courted by Olvi and David 
both founders to move there. It all seemed really, um, I had had as a goal that I wanted to be a head of production and do a post abroad. So it kind of was like clicking everything, but like, I didn't really know what I was getting into. Mm-hmm. It's like, I'd never worked full-time in an agency before that. I had never done, um, like try to dot down, like, you know, they'll for a heads of production, they're always like, can you do an estimate on time and hours? Like no one, I'd never done that before. Right. I remember the first time they were like, can you estimate like hours? And I like, remember going to the managing director and being like, is there like a, like a how-to on this? Like how do I like estimate this? You know, right. I had never opened a, an agency. I'd opened up a production company, but not, you know, an agency. So there was like a lot of things. And plus like, it just culturally like really unstructured um, mm. and um, very kind of like wild in mm. how the work was. Um processed or just like so um you know and everything was pretty backwards I mean they didn't do anything the same as we did in the United States from a production standpoint like they didn't do callbacks like the director would go to the callbacks alone and then he would bring the videos of his selects to the agency and then literally the entire agency the account team and the creatives and like the owner of the agency like all went into a room with the director and the director whoops sorry you were getting an echo the last thing last like 10 seconds like I was saying again it was just because he was unmuted but it was kind of like you um you know, you would go into it. So the whole, and then everyone would be in this one room. And I remember being like, like my, someone turned around and was like, what do you think, Beryl? And I'd be like, what the fuck is going on? Like, why are we doing a callback video? Like, why are we not in a room together? And why is the accounting here? And I remember being like, you need to leave now. Like you all need to leave. It's just as a creative and producers and the director. Like, why is there seven people from the production company here? Mm -hmm. It should just be the line producer. You right. know, and, and like they didn't write treatments. So I would like call directors in and like show them how treatments were written in the United States. And like, I wrote like a document of like what my expectations were. So like, not only did I like move to a country, which for most of you know, moving to a new city is hard enough, yeah. but I moved to a country or a place where I didn't speak the language. I didn't understand culturally. And then I was asked by the WPP network to help open up an agency. And so it was the beginning of the end. Wow. So, and this was when you were get. This was like Dove Beauty Sketches time. Uh, yeah, that was a, a that was another fortunate and unfortunate thing because I had two big projects that went out. One was Coca Cola Crazy for Good, and then the next thing that I produced. Well, I had other little projects I was producing in between, but then the the creatives came and showed me the script, and they were like, "We don't know what to do with this." And I was like, "Oh, I know what to do with this." Like. You know, like that was part of the reason why I was down there was because like they have great creative, but they had like terrible execution mm-hmm. and they really wanted to have specifically an American producer. Like that was something they specifically wanted down there was to help the creatives execute properly right. um, in the pro- creative process, which because they had no process. I mean, producers down there at that time were very like they would just kind of like shovel paper around kind of like, oh, you want me to make a ca-? like they didn't even do calendars. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I've been told, which made me feel really nice this past year, that um, since my term down there, that the whole industry has kind of changed and that producers, because I trained producers who then went to work at other agencies who then brought my process. Mm -hmm. And so they said that 
it's really changed for the better. Um, so I feel that made me feel really good because I felt like some of those fights and things, the pioneer things I had to kind of go through there, it seems like has 10 years later has kind of paid off and mm -hmm. that makes me happy. But um, yeah, so it was, it was, it was, um, it was a lot. So, so, so yeah, the dove sketches. So what I was saying was, that was a curse and a blessing because it was one of the first things I did, you know, for the agency. And it really showed that like the con the proof of concept, like yeah. bring American down and then use the blah, blah, blah. And also nobody really kind of knew what they were doing. So everyone kind of just stayed out of my way mm -hmm. and the client didn't even know if the experiment was going to work. So he just kind of like, here's your money, which was like 120 grand. And like, if you make it happen, like great. And if it doesn't like nobody needs to see it, right. we made it work. Um, I worked with like a brand new director and I had to like, I, luckily I'd worked with Henry Alex Rubin a lot. So mm -hmm. I knew how to do these sort of like strategic cat, like, you know, hitting camera and like real people. And that was something I really loved. I'd done a lot of real people work and I had worked with him and his line producers and people enough to know, like, I kind of applied the things I had learned on set with them to sort of take control of this set. Um, and what unfortunately happened after that, and that was probably the beginning of like where I, the burnout really started was that the expectations after that, I mean, that's like, you know, coming in and to the Olympics and, or wherever you go and you're just like, you know, you, you win the lottery, you know, I won the lottery yeah. Yeah. and then expectations were like, oh, you have to perform. Every client wanted to dove, right. every creative wanted to dove my boss has definitely wanted another job, you know, yeah. and it just caused all this stress and anxiety. And I was super isolated from all my peers and friends in the United States. And I was very alone. Mm -hmm. And that's when I started to crash. And for those who don't know that Dove Real Beauty Sketches was the most viewed ad of all time. Is that right? Or at one point on YouTube, I know point. it was. Yeah, at one yeah. point it was. Um, we won like 19 awards that year at Con. It was, I mean, to this day, it's like the most thing that the most important thing I feel like I've ever produced. Um, it hit a lot of my goals and um I love it. I can watch it now and just really enjoy it, but there was like a long time that I couldn't even watch it. So that happened right, all these awards happened right at the point where you were sort of reaching a burnout from what I can grasp. Yeah. And I, I, um, I knew a lot of the exhaustion and that my, 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 I was very like, like I was really hitting a lot of anxiety, you know, cause I was like dealing with a lot of walls because mm -hmm. I was in a culturally different place, you know? Right. So I was constantly doing deal. So basically I was like this, my bosses were like, go make it fucking happen. And I don't care what you need to do to make it happen. And then I'm dealing with all the bureaucracy. So I'm just like, you know, a caged animal, you know, trying to get through and then so lonely and sad because I'm like not taking care of myself. I ha don't have a lot of the relationships and close friendships that I had in the States really far away from my family. And I just started, you know, really, that's really where my drinking really picked up, you know, and I would basically go home after work every day, would pick up a bottle or two of wine and basically drink until I either fell out of my hammock, which mm -hmm. had a hammock in the house or until I passed out. And mm. then I'd wake up and do it all over again. And it just got to a point where it's really bad. And I, I remember, um, 
having like a big argument in the agency with the managing director and my boss is being like, we don't know what's going on with you, but like, you're not okay. Like whatever it is. And I remember in my head being like, well, I know what it is. You know? <laughs> like, mm. So you were aware, like, like you were very aware that things were off. Yeah. And that was one of the few times that they really all got behind me and like supported me. And like, they didn't really know what was going on. They just knew something was, um, and so I made a choice to quit drinking and I wow. literally put the bottle down. Like I didn't like go to AA <laughs> in Portuguese. I just can't. <laughs> um, and I got a therapist who spoke English down there and I started doing like acupuncture and I literally just stopped drinking and I started to take care of, fix myself. That was about maybe nine years ago or so and that was when I started to be more aware but then unfortunately the problem is, is when you get sober everything kind of everything yeah. kind of you know comes up that you've been sort of like drinking away you know had you had a therapist before or was this really just like you were fully committed to getting well overnight and it was that intense of a, a change it was that it was overnight, but unfortunately what I needed to repair and, and was impossible to do overnight. And I didn't know that at the time and my, the pressure at the office was not stopping. Mm -hmm. So I was just spinning, you know, mm -hmm. with like really high expectations that like no one human being should ever have on themselves. And how long did that period go on after you had like stopped drinking and had a therapist how long did that period go on where you were still working but likely still realizing like this is still too overwhelming years years so one extra year there and then another four or five years in Miami and I was just burning out like you know my boss would always say to me like Veronica like you operate at a, a level that most people don't so like he would always and he knew that he knew mm -hmm. that he knew I could operate at 200%. He loved it because he gets maybe a good producer is going to give maybe 90, 80%, 100%. And I've been head of production for a long time. So I know what producers can give and get, you know, mm -hmm. and it was mm -hmm. hard for me too, because I had to push my producers and it sucks, you know? Right. And, um, and he knew he, I remember him being like, you know, you give 200% and I need you at 200%. Like, mm. I feel like right now you're only giving me 120 and I'd be like, wow, isn't 120 like <laughs> a lot, you know, like, I feel like that's a lot. Like, I feel like that's really good, you know, yeah. but so in between those crashes, right. so I'd be at like a 200% for like a big, like, you know, whopper, Baruka, right. a whopper, right. Mm -hmm. And then I, I crash in between because I gave so much, I'm still giving a lot, but right. it was never enough. Wow. And so in between, I was doing everything I could, you guys. I was like acupuncture in my, now I'm back in Miami, right? So now I'm in Miami, <laughs> closer to friends and family, but still isolated from the industry. And I didn't realize honestly how isolated I was until like, no pun intended COVID, because at that point was when I really was done with the agency I'd resigned. And I was like starting to reach out to people and starting pool house again. And mm. at that point I was like, holy shit, mm. I was so isolated. And so I, when I was in Miami, I started like, um, 
was doing yoga. I was doing acupuncture. I was with working with a Chinese medicine, you know, um, herbalist who was like giving me different concoctions to drink. I was doing therapy twice a week. Um, I really got into the yoga community. I was taking, I was eating like really clean and, Mm -hmm. you know, I was dating American men and starting to kind of like get myself American cultured again, but the, but the work expectations were still there. And I started to lose the love of producing because I couldn't meet the expectations. Mm-hmm. Never enough. It was, and that, that was something I had to work a lot in therapy about was like those, those words, I'm not enough. I'm not good enough. It's never enough. Um, yeah. And I'm an overachiever. So, you know, and in, in, in I could, but nothing was working. Like successful relationships weren't working. I was arguing a lot with people at the office because I was angry with them because mm-hmm. they all wanted so much of me and I couldn't give me what I needed to give. Um, I mean, there's many times I wish I could go do it all over again, but we can't. Do you have any um, like reflections on your experience of like never feeling enough? Like what that looked like before? to how you're experiencing that now? Um, yeah, I mean, it was a really sad place to be, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and I, I started to really understand that I, I can't, can't, couldn't live like that anymore. You know, like I just genuinely couldn't, like if I wanted to get married, have kids and have a healthy relationship and maybe even get bigger or out of than advertising, leave advertising, go back to producing films, which was something I really loved, you know, then I needed to um, make some really serious changes. Mm-hmm. I'm curious too about just like boundary setting, like over the course of when you started to take care of yourself, like even things like, you know, therapy and not drinking, all of a sudden, you know, you have you're, you're showing in ways, whether directly or indirectly, that you have these boundaries. Oh, yeah. it's like, so how did, how did like boundaries start to come into effect for you? Starting well, when out? boundaries started, I remember specifically my boss saying to me in this quote, he was very angry with me um, because I wasn't posting anything on my Instagram about the agency or the things that we were doing. And I was posting all about healthy eating and yoga And he felt like I wasn't taking work seriously because of what I was posting on my Instagram. And how how did you respond to that? Because I was actually for the first time in my life trying to make it about like things that I, you know, like my personal life. I was actually trying to set a boundary. Like my Instagram is my personal place Mm -hmm. and I'm going to post personal stuff on my personal space. And instead he was angry with me because I wasn't like, showing my love for the agency. Um, and then, um, yeah, then he decided to leave the agency, start his other agency. And then, um, because I cried when he told me I was leaving, then I became selfish because he couldn't understand why I couldn't congratulate him. But of course I couldn't because I was so fucking sick. Yeah. And the people that I had moved to Brazil and Argentina for and done all this work for and all this stuff were leaving to go start something else. And they couldn't understand why I was crying and not saying congratulations. If I was a healthy human being, then probably could have done that, but I wasn't. Mm. So it sounds like there wasn't a lot of like honest conversations happening inside the agencies that you had been working for at the time. At the time, I was just known as someone who was... um, 
like up and down and irrational or um, unbalanced. I was told I was unbalanced a lot. And when I went into therapy, actually my therapist now is my same therapist I had in treatment. And she said she couldn't get like, like when I got into, when I finally, finally burned, like I burned, right? So like they all left to go start this agency. And I was like, not okay. I was like not getting out of bed on the weekends. I was having serious suicide ideation. Mm-hmm. I don't know if anybody knows what that is, but it's kind of like, you're just feeling like you want to die every day and you hate your life. And, you know, um, I had someone, had, one of my friends had to call like, um, like, was it like a check when they have like a police check, check on you. Mm-hmm. Like, um, um, and on one, cause I wasn't responding to phone calls on the weekend and she knew my depression was getting really bad. My depression was getting really bad. I mean, I could, I was, I remember being at my office and I had this beautiful glass office. And I remember like, not knowing what to do because they walked out and we didn't have like somebody new who walked in, you know? So it was a bunch of us like kids just running around trying to like, you know, run big accounts and get things done. And everyone was doing the best that they could, but it was a lot. And, um, and, and I just remember sitting at my desk a lot, just crying a lot. Like Mm. just couldn't, like, I just like, couldn't get, I was so sad. Like I was so sad and I hated my life so much and I was so stuck and I just wanted to die basically every day for like nine months, no, Mm. eight months. And then I remember being in LA on a job and I was really getting to a point where I didn't know, like I kept thinking like, oh my God, I think I just need to leave, you know? Mm. And I was scared because I wasn't as connected with the industry, you know, at at large, like New York and LA, because I was like really in this like space of my agency. Mm -hmm. And um, I was thinking of leaving because they kept telling me how unbalanced it was. So I thought I was like borderline or something. And my therapist was a therapist. She wasn't a psychiatrist. so She couldn't like do that kind of diagnosis, you know. And I had found this DBT therapy place in LA, like a dialectic behavior therapy that I thought I could go do. Um, and I was going to quit my job and I was going to go do this therapy. And then I was going to stay in LA and like, and my boyfriend, and I had broken up. who's now my husband. So there is a happy ending people. <laughs> and um and basically I was doing yoga with this yoga teacher and she was talking about her experiences with me with, she was in corporate America. She was in depression and burnout and all the things that I had been experiencing constantly, constantly. And she was telling me that, you know, she went to treatment and that she, since she was so high up at her corporation, she had to pay for everything. And I was like, <laughs> so then I got really smart and I went in and I looked at um, paid leave and turned mm. out because I was so high in my network that they not only would cover my insurance, I could take six months, didn't have to tell anyone actually what I was doing. And they would, because my full salary would be paid for six wow. months. Wow. And I was like, fuck yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I fucking checked myself into a treatment facility, one of the best in the country at Avalon wow. in Malibu. I totally recommend it. They have a, a, a substance abuse program and then they have one for mental health. Mm. And I did tell my whole agency, they were super supportive. At this time, things had changed because people had left and blah, blah, blah. 
And um, they were really, really supportive of everything and really just wanted to see me get well and healthy because they knew I was really struggling mm -hmm. and had been at that point for like seven years. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it wasn't like two years, you guys. It's like almost like a course of a decade. And, um, and everyone was really great. And um, so I went and my EP took over and his, Carlos was wonderful and he ran the department for me and took care of everyone. And um, and I went away for six months and I worked my ass off. I got lots of, um, we did this really cool thing and I totally recommend this if this if you have time. And I is, so what we did with, with my therapist is you take like a butcher's um, sheet, you know, like those like things that they wrap the, meat and yeah you lay it out and you kind of go like every five years so and in that five years you write down everything that started from you from like zero to five five to ten ten to fifteen yeah. in the twenty and anything like you broke had a bad breakup like your grandmother died like you're um you know you had an abortion you um were raped you were what and I started like and all those things happened to me and I started writing it all down. And then I was able to do the substance abuse line and then the mm. burnout line and just, and I was like, no wonder why. Like the first day I showed up at treatment, I said to them, I think I have like borderline, I'm unbalanced, I'm like this and like that. And they were like, so they ask you questions like, have you ever been raped? Have you ever been molested? Have you ever been, um, has anyone close to you died? Um, you know, you, they ask you all these kind of questions. And finally they were like, you're not here for that. You're here for trauma. Mm. Like it was the first time someone was like, you're going to be okay. Like mm. you're valid. Like it's valid that you feel like this because you've gone through all that. So then we did this exercise of like putting everything down on paper. And I remember walking the paper with my therapist and being like, oh my God, mm. the first time that talk you were saying, I didn't, have that talk anymore because it was okay because I had been through some extreme trauma in my life that not one person should go through but I had gone through multiple rapes in production mm -hmm. I've been raped three times mm -hmm. in this industry you know I had been sexually harassed multiple times you know I had been molested by my brother mm -hmm. I had an intense work environment that no one should have and it with highest expectations that nobody should be a bequest on anybody. You know, it was, I moved to a country where I didn't speak the language and had to start an agency, like the end, mm -hmm. you know? And it was like the first time that I was able to be like, ah. mm. so then we got working. And I, I was that, you know, kid who showed up every day with their book. And I did all the, I made every meeting and I worked so hard and I did um, EMDR trauma therapy. I did like at this point, I've done about 30 to 35 hours of trauma therapy. Uh -huh. um, I went to, I did go to DBT because I felt even though I wasn't um, borderline, by the way, I'm not, thank God. Um, but I was um, someone who had no boundaries or tools. And so mm. it helped me and it works really well with people with depression. So it really taught me how to create boundaries and tools. So like, if I get sad, I'm like, okay, a tool of mine I know is like, I need to go work out, you right. know? You know, so, okay. So it helped me to be like, I'm, I'm having a hard time right now. How do I take myself out of this? Oh, I can go into my toolbox and be like, oh, you know what? I need to eat healthy today. That's going to make me feel better. I mean, it's mm. like, I didn't have those. So that was like the best thing that I, I totally highly recommend it. If anyone is feeling like they need help, it, there's no shame in 
asking for help and there is no shame in getting the help that you need. I'm really curious. I want to, um, I want to make sure I leave some time for other folks to ask questions. I have so many questions based off of the story you just told me. I resign, so I have no job except for pool house. So I have plenty of time to answer any questions. (laughs) Okay, cool. Cool. Thank you so much. Yeah. I'm, I'm really curious about like the moment before you went to the treatment center for those six months and, and I'm curious because before I did a sabbatical once in my life and I came up against a tremendous amount of resistance and it was like the day of, and it was so overwhelming that I almost was just like, I can't do this because I was so scared of change. And so I'm curious, like, yeah, was there a moment before you went where you were like, I don't know, what, what am I trying to ask? Um, I doubted that I should go or if I was- Yeah, yeah. Before you did it, like what really got you through to do it? I had, my friends were great. I mean, yeah. everyone was really supporting me and work really supported what I was doing, like really supported it. And like mm-hmm. my HR director, like really supported it, you know? Mm-hmm. And I could tell at that point, all the shit that we had gone through was because of leadership and leadership was gone. Right. And it was now a family again. And this family cared deeply about me and they want, they knew I was really struggling and my family was really behind it. And my Mm. friends were really behind it. Honestly, I have to tell you that the production industry and my peers rallied around me so hard, so Mm. warm, even high school friends that like, because I was very open about it. I, at that point I got hacked. So I lost all my Instagram followers, but I think at that point I had like 1500 followers of personal and I would like post every day, like what I was feeling or like, what Mm. I was and like people were like rallying behind me and just like, I, I really under, like really cared about me and people were checking on me all the time. Actually, one of my bosses who I was quite close with, who wasn't, um completely in that stuff he checked on me a lot he checked on me once a week my my Burger King client checked on me once a week clients checked on me amazing you know like my Budweiser client checked on me my um my Heinz client checked on me you know so I mean it's really um I think the one thing that I've learned I'm very open book and I remember a few of my friends being very worried about me telling anyone that I was doing this. And I was like, Mm. I'm pretty like well-known, like in the industry, at least like I disappear for six months. Like people are going to be like, where'd she go? Mm -hmm. But more importantly, I'm like, I don't fucking care. Mm -hmm. Like if anyone wants to come say to me, like, you're like, what are you going to say to me actually? Like, oh, you're an idiot. Like, or you're stupid. Like, I'm so sorry. Like I wanted to kill myself for nine months now. Like Mm. I'm going to, die if I don't get help and you know what if someone wants to shame me or not work with me or whatever because of that well then shame on them and I basically took this attitude of like I want to control my own story and that goes back to strategy I don't want people gossiping behind my back Mm -hmm. I want to be giving people facts and if anyone actually dares to say anything about this I dare you Mm -hmm. because then I'll open up my closet and I'll show you all the fucking awards I made when I wanted to die. So mm-hmm. if that, I can do all of that, then it's okay for me to say, you know what, time out. Mm-hmm. Like I'm not okay. Mm-hmm. And I need to go take care of myself. And honestly, I was not hit with any resistance whatsoever. I mean, it was, um, I was really, really proud to have the friends and the work acquaintances and family around me. And, and if it wasn't for that community, this community, mm-hmm. I, I don't know if I would have survived. 
And Veronica, how many years ago was this now? 2018. So not that far away. So 2008, I got out in 2008. Wait, 2000? No, I got out 2000, March 2019. I got out. Okay. I got out in March yeah. 2019. My husband now was came back. He didn't know. I went to treatment. I didn't tell him. I didn't tell him because I was like, fuck you. <laughs> I left and went to go take care of myself and he needed to get some help too. So he went and got his things worked on the things he needed to. And he came Amazing. back and worked with, within our therapist to work together. And I went back to Miami in 2019, which is something I didn't want to do, but I went back, but I went back with that point with full intention to like stay. Hmm. Um, but a lot of people left to go to the new agency. I wasn't asked to go obviously, because I was like to them unstable and anyway, don't want to be there. <laughs> and so, um, a lot of people went over there and it was very painful, um, because I lost a lot of my daily colleagues, but also I'm human. And I felt very badly too, because I wasn't asked, even though it wasn't the healthy place or choice for me, I still felt quite bad. And, um, and they brought in new leadership. And at that point, I remember standing up, it was like December or no, like maybe early, maybe October, like 2019. So like mm -hmm. we're, now we're getting up to COVID. And I remember like literally standing up in my office and looking out and being like, I don't know why I'm here. Mm. Like, this is not my place anymore. Like I've changed. I went away and worked on myself and I'm not the same person that left this office in 2018. I'm a new person and I need, this isn't like, I was part of David 1.0, David 2.0, but I'm not David 3.0 mm -hmm. and that's okay. Mm -hmm. And it's time for someone else to take my seat, literally. Mm -hmm. So I left. Um, we tried to make it work like with some other possibilities of like maybe more different roles, but mm -hmm. it didn't, it wasn't where I wanted to be anymore. I didn't think it was right. And I think I was trying to hold on to something that wasn't right for me for a long time. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's when I left. And then I decided I wanted to start Pool House and freelance again and like restart Pool House, like for all producers. and. Mm -hmm full-time and freelance, like, you know, for all genres of producing and big dreams guys. And, um, and then COVID, hit. <laughs> but so. and what was the, what was the last thing you said? And then COVID hit. Oh, COVID. Right. Right. So I'm curious, like, what are you looking for now in a place of work, having been through what you've been through? Well, when I went to go to Prairie Odell, PJ, you know, asked me to come in in May of 2020 to help him because they didn't have had a production during the global pandemic. And PJ knew, because PJ's Brazilian, so PJ knew the players, and but he also understood what it was like to work in um, that cultural cultural environment. Like he understood the pressure that the agencies down there put on people for awards. Wow. And so he could, I told him my story and it basically was like, I can't come here if you can't promise me a few things. And like, mm. and at that point, I don't nothing to lose. I don't care. I'm living with my my boyfriend. I'm not paying rent. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm not paying a car payment. You know, it's 2020. We're all in our houses. You know, right. like it's the world is blowing up and people are literally dying. So now mm -hmm. I'm like, I really don't care. And I basically was like, these are the things that I need in order to come here. I need resources. I don't want to get up against arguments when I'm asking for resources. I want the resource. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah. Um, you know, I want this, this, and this, but it was like more stuff. Like it wasn't about really financial, it was more like boundaries. Like right. I need to work like these hours and I need to have these times off. And like he promised me a million things. And I will say, I can't say enough about PJ Pereira. Not only did he honor everything, he constantly um was checking in on me. Amazing. He, 
and even since I resigned because I'm trying to start a family with my husband, I'm in IVF. And unfortunately I had a miscarriage a few weeks ago. Um, he's been checking on me like a couple times a week just to see if I'm okay. Wow. You know, and like, that is what I look for. But I also will go work for anyone again full time. <laughs> that, that, that is over. But I will do freelance jobs. Um, mm -hmm. I'm not ready to because we're getting in for another round of transfer in October. And my husband and I, um, my goal right now is to take care of myself so I can be a mom. Because I didn't get to do that for, I'm 44 years old. And I missed out on that early because I was so concerned about everybody else and their mm -hmm. dreams and goals. Mm -hmm. So now it's mine. and. Um, I have the whole PJ prayer in the highest regard. So I will say this, if you can't work for someone like PJ, then you might want to rethink where you're working. He took a broken person. I was very, you know, when I left David, even though I was strong emotionally, I was broken as a producer, you know, like I didn't really want to produce anymore. And I had lost my love of producing. And that's why I wanted to start Pool House because I really wanted to create a, this larger community that I had missed so much over the years. Mm -hmm. And, um, and, you know, at the end of the day, I, 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 he, he made me love production again, but at the end of the end of the day, I realized that I don't want to be a fucking head of production. Mm. I want that responsibility. I don't care about that. Those accolades. Like I want to make shit. And actually that's what I'm really good at is making shit. So, and like, there's always a light at the end of the tunnel when you're making shit. So I, there's been a couple jobs that have come across my plate since I since I left work, which was July 1st. And I, I've been like, oh, I should do it. And then there's the other part of me is like, you know, you're worried about family right now. You're worried you're right. taking care of yourself. Like that other job will come at some other point. And um, it's been a hard transition. I'm not going to lie. Like I went from like COVID into getting pregnant into losing my, 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 my baby in like a very short period of time, like all from like, so basically I went from like work to con, which I had to speak and judge. Then I got COVID, by the way, I was the only person wearing a mask the entire time. And I still got COVID. And then I went into getting pregnant and then losing it. So it's been kind of a rough summer and or very happy summer and then very sad summer. And um, I'm kind of adjusting a little bit to having a lot of time on my plate. And, um, but I'm just, I'm kind of just like radical acceptance. Like I'm just kind mm. of like being like, this is where I'm supposed to be right now. And um, I got up this morning and I went to boxing class and mm. then I went to hot yoga and now I'm my back hurts so much that I've got a heating pad as I'm talking to you guys. But I'm just, you know, living on living with myself right now and I'm really enjoying it and that just means I I like to say um I'm that kind of person that's like I'd like to take like a few steps back like and then because I always come back like a lot stronger mm. yeah I love that it's boiling down to family for you that's something we talk a lot about in these conversations come back to constantly actually um Anna who's on here she has a podcast that talks a lot about film and family she has three kids and oh, wow. husband and finding a way to make it work, which is pretty amazing. So, well, Veronica, thank you so much um, for just sharing and being so open with your story. Um, I would uh, I would love to hand over to questions from anybody who's listening in. I have a question for you. Thank you so much, by the way, for sharing your story. It's really interesting and inspiring. Um, so 
John mentioned, like I do a podcast and I work with a lot of people, but usually kind of the beginnings of their career when they're trying to build it. And we always are trying to teach them to like have a really strong foundation because if they're building this career and there's no foundation, you could build it and it just all crumbles. And that foundation is, you know, health and family and those things that really matter. And I'm just curious because I'm seeing them kind of on the front end of that, what recommendations you would have for people to prevent maybe ending up where you did or, (laughs) you know, it's okay. You can say it. I was like, like the house that crumbled. Yeah, no, like, I mean, it sounds like it was pretty hard. And so obviously not all of it's preventable. Some of it was circumstantial and, you know, you dealt with it the best you could. And I think you did a great job. Um, But as far as what could be prevented or what could be done to build that foundation, what would you say? I would say, I mean, really try to find a great mentor, Mm -hmm. you know, Um, and to create certain boundaries up front, you know, from day one. Um, And uh, I think that, you know, if you have any issues with substance abuse, then you might want to consider taking care of those before you go into production. (laughs) It's just going to get worse. It won't get better. And if you're lying to yourself that you don't have an issue with substance abuse, then you might want to look at yourself in the mirror and really have that conversation. But I think, um, you know, I think it's just making sure you have a strong mentor and really being having an honest conversation with yourself of like maybe what your weaknesses are and like where you are with things like substance abuse and mental health, you know, truly. Because production is not easy. Yeah. No, I love that. I think addiction is something, whether it's um, substance abuse or other types of addiction that I feel like often will crumble a career, you know? If you've seen like even the Elvis movie that just came out. Oh yeah, I did. Was, I mean, it was partly substance abuse, but in reality, Elvis was like very against drugs and he resisted it for a long time. But I think that how they portrayed him being addicted to the crowd and like the being on stage and getting all that attention and validation was really interesting. Like addiction can take a lot of different forms, whether it's behavioral or substance or whatever. But I feel like um, even that just using something that's unhealthy to regulate your emotions seems to be a common theme. Yeah, it's very true. And we all know what happened to unfortunately to Elvis. I mean, I just saw that movie too, like, like, like Saturday night. And I was like, Oh, I want to, I, I, I have sometimes have a hard time like watching certain things, you know what I mean? Because, you know, you're kind of like, how did I get so lucky that I was able to pull myself out of this? You know, I didn't, there wasn't like an intervention, you know, like nobody really knew. Like when I went to treatment, people were like, wait, you're sick. (laughs) You know, like people who were with me all the time in Miami knew, but like my mom was in denial for years you know, um, and with my substance abuse, my mom knew, I asked her, like, she knew since I was 23, and I was like, you didn't do it, um, and, um, you know, other people knew, I think they, I think all my friends drink, we all drink a lot, I mean, you know, we all party a lot, so I think every, but no one knew I was, like, really at home isolating and, like, drinking like that, so, um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, I, how did I get so lucky? I mean, I've, I've lived a really hard life in that sense. You know what I mean? Um, 
your brain and what your battle with your own brain is can be is the hardest and most terrifying battle that you will ever have you know your own brain is probably is the most powerful weapon that you can carry truly yeah thank you that uh validation the addicted to validation addiction to validation thing really struck a chord with me because i remember um one of the biggest signs that i needed to get myself taken care of when we had the production company and we're doing some great work and growing way too fast was when um I was accepting an award for something and there was a group of people around me and they started telling me how much I inspired them and like how much our company inspired them. And in that moment, I felt such a deep self-hatred and cause nothing felt like what people were telling me because yeah. I hated myself at the time. And I remember in that moment being like, something is very wrong here. <laughs> And that was like one of the big of many, I mean, there's probably like 50 red flags over the course of like five years, but that one, another one was when I would always go home and visit my parents and, um, I would just sleep on their couch like all day. And yeah. I remember looking back at that. And I'm like, that's awful. Like I'm going to hang out with my parents and I'm sleeping the whole time. There's all these kind of red flags that looking back on, it, it's like, how did you not see that? or friends telling you, but that addiction to the validation, I think for me, was what really kept me going. Yeah. So thanks yeah, for bringing that weird. up. Anna. No worries. Yeah. Oh, and yeah, no, it's weird. Like not having um, my husband or someone, my mother, because, you know, after I lost the miscarriage, you know, she was like, you know, you're going to a lot right now. You guys just sold your beach house here, which I love. And you just, you know, you just lost a baby and you just left your job. She's like, and you're used to having like positive affirmations, like every single day. And it's, even though it's not like you were fired or you like you left, like it was your decision to do your family. It still was a place that it's a loss. It's something that you lost. And, um, yeah. And, but it's at the same time, like, um, I think sometimes it's just really important to just be uncomfortable and like learn how to exist in like an uncomfortable place and um yeah I've just really listened to my body all summer you know now especially like the last few weeks like when I'm sad I cry and when I'm like or I go into a toolbox call my therapist or I um I rest I read I took myself off my personal Instagram for a few weeks because I thought that that would probably be a smart thing because like if I don't want to see any of my friends who are pregnant like having their children right now so I'm just like nope um and uh even though I'm super happy for them <laughs> it's just not something I can look at right now and um I'm just kind of focusing a little bit on pool house but I'm not even you know killing myself on that right now because my body's just like my brain aren't there yet but mm. I've been through a lot worse so I feel like you know I'll get there we're getting, we're getting there slowly yeah that topic of rest is a whole nother I, I want to do a whole nother conversation about that sometime that's been the the four-letter word that's been coming back to me over and over this past like three months just learning yeah. to rest and feeling okay about doing it yeah it's important I mean I'd be not gonna lie like I don't have anxiety waking up in the mornings anymore because I 
you know, even though I loved working at Prera, um, it was wonderful, but you know, I had a really busy schedule and I was on zoom sometimes for 10 hours a day, 12 hours a day, you know, and you're going from like zoom to zoom to zoom. And, um, I would wake up some mornings just like with a lot of anxiety because it's like, oh, even though I know I'm going to get through the day because I've gone through a million days in production and these are mostly just calls and I need to weigh in or I need to have a conversation with someone to help them with a budget or something like that. It still was just like that anxiety of having to be there and do something and show up when I just truly needed to rest. Mm-hmm. And now just resting is great. You now I just I go to sleep every night and it's like, it's going to be Saturday again. <laughs> I love it. It's the first time I really haven't worked either since I was, since I went to treatment, that was six months, but I was working so hard myself. But before that, it was like, you know, like decades. (laughs) Mm. Can't wait to hear how it goes for you too. I'll have to check in with you in a few weeks. Yeah, hopefully everything goes well. I think I'm in a better, much better place though, to be honest, than I was um, when I first left the job and went into my transfer. So I feel like it'll go better this time because I'm much more in touch with myself now than Mm -hmm. I was then. It was more like a box I needed to check. And I feel like maybe that's why it didn't work out the way I hoped, you know, Mm. doing a lot more self-work right now. Like with my doing like energy healings and working with acupuncturists and my therapists and I'm writing and I'm vision boarding. I don't know if you guys have a vision book, but I, it's no. something I started doing um, in Miami too. When I get back from Emma from Brazil, it's lovely. I could even do like show you guys how to do it. Maybe um, I could post some pictures or something on to, to, bear, to your site. Um, yeah, that'd be amazing. Cause I'm actually doing a session with my, one of my girlfriends next week who left, she was rep and she left the industry. Same thing, burnout, disappointment. Mm. And so um, we're going to do a vision book session this week. I just ordered her a vision book. It should arrive this week. I like the books because it's something you can put on your shelf. Mm-hmm. And basically you divide it like into sections of your lives. You're like my family, my children, my, my hope for child, my relationship, my job, my hobbies. Like you kind of like, what are the things I want my life to look like as a whole? And then you can go on the Pinterest and pull out like visuals of how you would visualize that. So it doesn't have to be you and a man or you and a woman, like it's a visual of what you would like your relationship to look like. Maybe it's two people hugging or taking a walk on the beach or Mm. that intimacy that you feel like you want to see. And then you print these out in different sizes and you kind of make these collages and section out. And I like to write like, you know, my goals in there. And I gotta be really honest. I like, since I've started doing this, like 2016, I mean, I pretty much hit everything. Like everything has pretty much happened for me. Wow. So now I got to do, I was saying to myself, I got to work on like my pool house section now. <laughs> um, so anyway, so I'm doing a session with my girlfriend because she's kind of going through some stuff right now too. So I said, let's do a vision book. And so I ordered mm-hmm. her one and sent it to her house. It arrives today. And we're going to do a session, I think this week. So um, anything like that is always really helpful too when you're trying to figure out where your life is supposed to be. Mm-hmm. I love that idea of seeing something like as visual people we all are like the idea of visualizing like what does peace look like what would you like your future to look like visually yeah things like that well I guess um my last question would just be Veronica like if you had any advice for filmmakers who are currently breaking into advertising who might not have as much leverage to set like as firm of boundaries that you might be able to for example or maybe they could um but just general advice for people breaking into the advertising industry 
I mean, I think it's the same thing as Diana. It's just like, you know, you gotta like, you know, prioritize your, or make boundaries, you know, like mm-hmm. a lot of companies are changing. Like, I don't, I don't, I think if my agency was starting today, it wouldn't be able to start the same way, you know, like, I can't say, I think it's even changing now because it's under different management and I know the management and they're wonderful. So um, I would say like, you know, places like Prera and stuff like that, they have so many great programs like DE&I programs like HR so that we have to do things like, you know, um, these are, you can put your working hours in your Google chat. So mm. people know that you're on and off. So I think like little boundaries, I would say that I think the industry as a whole is getting better and they're really truly trying. Um, and I think prod programs like, you know, stand with production, who's trying to like yeah. really create more boundaries for producers. Right. It's bonkers to me that we're having issues with this because they're producers and we need boundaries. Um, is, um, you know, like we're, people are trying to make things better. I mean, look what happened with the Me Too movement. Like right. things got better, you know, they really truly did. And and I and, and free the work and things are getting better on that end, you know? So I think that, um, things are getting better. I think that, you know, you can do little tools, like I just said, like putting your working hours in your Slack or putting your working hours in your G chat. So people understand, you know, you can say to someone, I'm sorry, I can't talk at that hour. I'm going to be working out. Like I said that a million times at prayer, like I ride horses. That is my fucking therapy. I started riding in treatment courses. I don't, like I have, if you see horse lesson in my morning, do not schedule a meeting. And I would be really clear with people. Mm-hmm. Yes, I am the head of production. So I understand that that is hard, but I respected my producer's time too. But also I've been through a lot, but I do think that, you know, you just need, and I remember saying to my producer, she'd be like, I'm just not working. You know, I'm, and I'd be like, I want you to go work out. Like mm-hmm. if you, I, in a month from now, you're not on like a prop workout schedule and you don't have like your like timing t- days of, you know, when you're working and when you're off and when you're resting, when you're eating lunch, then we're going to have a problem. Cause I don't want you, I will always say to my producers, which, you know, I was laughing at you is I say to my producers, nobody wants to end up like me. Yeah. So like, take care of yourself. So I think that if you go into, look, you have to work hard. So like, the end you know mm-hmm. like production is hard advertising is hard mm-hmm. if you don't have some some thick skin then maybe this isn't the right industry for you but saying all of that you can re- re- you can create certain boundaries you know you can look at your you don't need to look at your phone right before you go to bed you know you can look at your phone maybe after dinner for a second mm-hmm. is there something super important nope okay all this shit can be answered tomorrow mm-hmm. um and, you know, I think, like I said with Anna, just make sure that you have your shit in check. Like, mm-hmm. if you need some help, if you need some help, go get the help before you get in, because it is a hard industry. And we do work really hard. And by the way, it's going to get worse because smaller budgets, tighter timelines, metaverse, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's going to just keep getting more and more challenging. So I think it's just really important to, um, to create boundaries going in. And if you don't know how to do that, then go get help to do it because it'll help you later. Feel like you're in a uh, a great position to make a difference in advertising now in a different way. 
well, yeah, because now I really don't have anything to lose. I, <laughs> I don't need to get hired again. I really don't care. <laughs> Fine, but I'm off doing my own personal, hopefully this one project goes through for film project I'm working on. And I'm reading scripts. And yeah. you know, my, my, I'm working in real estate with my husband as well. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to start a family. So at the end of the day, if no one ever hired me ever, ever again, I really would give zero fucks. <laughs> um, and But I do feel like I have some people out there that would like to hire me again. And that would be fine if the project is great. But no, I really don't have anything to lose. I truly don't. And um, and it's kind of like very, I feel like a lot of freedom. Like I feel like even my TikToks are getting a little more disruptive because it's just kind of like telling it how it is. Yeah. Like, don't let your boss gaslight you when you're asking for a raise. Yeah. <laughs> you are deserve a raise, you know? Yeah. So well, we need that the industry needs people like you to put that truth out there, people that have been through the trenches and have experienced what you've experienced. I mean, we need that. Ben, Ben has a quick question, if that's okay, Veronica. Hey Veronica. Um, thanks so much for sharing so much with us this hour. Um I love that you're doing horses, like riding horses, and that's like your thing. But I was just curious um we all have morning routines of some sort or lack thereof and i'm just curious what yours is and what works yeah. for you um i well I, I ride a lot now that i'm not working i ride like in the afternoon or later in the day just like depending um i have my own horse my husband bought it for me for my birthday last year thank you best husband in the world <laughs> um but um like this morning i got i box so i i've been boxing for six years that was another thing that I started when I was starting to feel really bad because I was like well good I can go like beat the shit out of something and this would be great I'm a very good boxer I was a very bad boxer when I first started but I am a very good boxer and I will go in the ring with anybody but my old boxing coach would say to me like you know you you truly learn who you are in the ring like how you approach life and he said to me and actually this is funny he said to me one time after I got out of the ring and I gave some guy a black eye and he said to me, you must be really strong in your life and your work because you come at like, he's like some boxers, some people, they, they, they have different strategies and they kind of maybe like, they kind of pull back or they'll like wait for someone. He's like, you just come out swinging. Like you just come out and you attack and you, you, you don't, you don't fear, like you don't, pull back. And so I tried to do some sort of physical activity in the morning. I have to like have to Ben. So it's like, I wake up, I fuck around a little bit. I like to take my time. I'm like a putzer. And then, you know, I like to have like a nice, like hot something like with like ginger or lemon, like right now I'm doing like turmeric and, um, and then I need to do physical activity. So then we'll go like my husband and I will cycle or I'll do yoga or I'll box. And then, then I can start my day, but that morning has to be for me, the end, like the morning, I need to set my day up the way I need to set my day up, you know? Super helpful. Thanks so much. You're welcome. Anyway, I think we went way over, but. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for hanging in there with us. I feel like, uh, I feel like you and I, in the sense of our timelines have so much in common, not like specifically what happened, but, um, like the fact that it's been four years since what you, you know, the sabbatical that you took and the time away you took and in this process of like coming back to the speed of life and at your own pace and with your own boundaries and feel like I could talk forever. So, um, but anyway, 
Um, <laughs> yeah, thanks again, Veronica. And um, welcome. We appreciate the honesty. It's like I said, it's what we need. And I look forward to um, more of your TikToks with uh, honest reflections and thoughts about the industry. So <laughs> you've gained oh, a few followers. Be like, Just make her leave. Just make her leave. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you won't. Because we know you won't. We know you won't quit. So. <laughs> no, we're not a quitter. All right. Bye, All everyone. Right, Have a great day. Thank you. See you, everyone. All right. So that is a wrap on episode three of the Variable Podcast. If you were into any of the specific topics or themes discussed throughout this conversation, you can follow up in the Variable community, and I'd be happy to connect with you there. And if you'd like to connect more with Veronica, the best place to reach her would be within her community, which is called The Pool House. And that website is the-poolhouse.com. In the meantime, this is John Bragel, and I'm signing off.